0: This is Talk Is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the High Alpine.
1: Middle of August. What? Well, I got two weeks and I'm going to be on the oh, mountain. Oh, just stop.
0: Stop rubbing it in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, can't wait. It's uh, It's been a year and uh, I'm due. So, uh, we're recording this the week after Jurassic. Um, we just wrapped that up yesterday, and uh, so ton of energy putting that on. Um, such a great event. Uh, Fifty six anglers all across North America. We have people coming for the winners was uh, Kevin Hurley, vice president oh, of the Wild Sheep Foundation, awesome. and his partner Annelard. They won. They they caught the biggest fish and they had the most inches, so they they also um, technically won that category. Oh, that's so, awesome Good for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, event was awesome. Um, $12,000 p- prize package, uh, 119 fish caught over the weekend. Wow. Um, so yeah, pretty phenomenal. Great great time on the water and uh, lots of laughs and uh, a great fundraiser for British Columbia. The, the cool thing about Jurassic is that we bring people from all across North America. We sell teams at Sheep Show, a whole bunch of places. Mm-hmm. So if you wanna come check out Sheep Week, there'll be two teams there one of the life members breakfast and one on the Thursday night auction. I think it is. And, uh, it's just such a great event because we raise money for wild sheep at these local events. So sheep week, um, you know, there's some Dell safari club, uh, chapters have a, have a team, uh, SCI. And then, um, the people come out to BC. We, we have a great tournament. It's all weekend long. It's uh, we don't call it a tournament. We call it an experience. And, uh, and what we're doing is we're raising money for wild sheep. Uh, I just ran the numbers and our auctions alone um, were netting close to $75,000 and that's going to go on the ground for wild sheep in BC this next year. So um, it's a big part of our fundraising model and it's doing great work for wild sheep conservation and it's a bloody good time, man. It's so much fun.
0: <laughs> oh, those those river monsters are insane. I, I had the opportunity a few years ago, I actually bought uh, that one of the banquets up here, bought uh, a sturgeon trip down there. And it's it, it's weird to say, but the minute you tie into one of those fish, it's it's almost life-changing. Like they're a level of power that you you, you can't even describe. I, I've tried a few times. Somebody says, well, what's it like to hook a sturgeon? And imagine setting your hook into a nine, 10 foot log that weighs about 300 pounds. And then that log fights and the, the fights can go on for hours. I think one of the coolest parts about it, a lot of people don't realize uh, that in my experience, that one of the biggest questions we get is, do you, what, what do you do with the sturgeon? And they're all catch and release, right? So th- what's really awesome about this is uh, the guides we work with ha- have a tagging program that gives information on these fish as well. So they're, these fish are, a lot of them are caught three, four, five, six times over the course of their life. And they actually giving, uh, information back to the biologists as well. So it's a successful program that benefits both the fish and, and wild sheep. So it's a really, really cyclical thing that we're doing here. It's, it's pretty amazing. And I, I got to get down there one time for it, actually for the Jurassic, not just talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a blast. Um, so on, on the weekend, speaking of sturgeon, we, we wrapped up our membership drive and uh, our first place prize was a um, fishing trip on the Fraser mm-hmm. River. And uh, this was sponsored by Wood Wheaton Supercenter. So Don, uh, you, you were working with Don and yeah. brought him on board to sponsor this. It's just a great, uh, great support from Wood Wheaton uh, Supercenter out of Prince George there. But we drew our winners, Kevin Kapelka out of Chase BC. He was the first prize winner on that uh, fishing trip. And then uh, second place was uh, Frontiers Men Gear Knife. Got it. And thanks, Tanner. Screwed up every time. Uh, so that was a generous donation from uh, Tanner Danish. And that was Brian Dufresne out of Quebec, of all places. It was just cool. Not many sheep in Quebec, but uh, great members supporting us. And then uh, third place was Don Stevenson. So that's bloody cool that Don won, because he, he does so much to support us, eh? so. It uh, would have been weird if he'd got, come in second, I think, but uh, <laughs> you're muted,
0: buddy. Oh, that would be funny if, if he came in second. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: mine's better. Yeah. No, mine's better. <laughs> yeah. So very cool. Um, so thanks to Wood Wheaton Supercenter and all our uh, sponsors for making that happen. Um, yeah, we, I had some numbers here, just some stats I'm going to share with you guys. On um, We had, during that membership drive, we signed up 159 mm-hmm. new members we had 53 upgrades and 326 renewals. So that's amazing. You know, membership is the core of what we do. Um, they are the people that put sheep on the mountain in BC, and uh, we're super grateful for all the support we get. Um, and we're always trying to do things to recognize our members, support them, um, and thank you everyone for participating in the membership promotion and just for all the support we get from our members. We're we're bloody blessed, I have to say, Steve. Oh, absolutely, we are. Can't argue that. And and speaking of
0: our members we always have something pretty kick-ass going on for them we at the night of the jurassic we dropped four new raffles
1: yeah so they're online now get over to wildsheepsociety.com click on the raffle page and uh, we got a line up um, again so don line them we we wrap up our last don line him rifle the big boar and don calls up and says i've got another donation i'm like don you're doing too much man and he's like Kyle, I just want to support one of the most benevolent oh, yeah, sponsors, supporters we've got. And uh, him and Gary Flack put together this wicked custom rifle. This is a 7-SOM. This is the hot mm-hmm. caliber everyone's talking about right now. Um, beautiful, beautiful rifle, custom built by Gary Flack. Um, so yeah, that's online there. Uh, that thing will sell out. The last one sold out in about six weeks. Oh, yeah, I don't imagine this one will be around much longer than that. Um, We're actually going to draw that one in Prince George um, in November. So you only got about three months to get tickets on that one. And then uh, we got another lineup, whole lineup. We got uh, a Vortex package brought to us by Westside Stores. Um, Very cool package. Thanks to Jason over there at Westside. And uh, we've got our conservation partner Sitka Gear giving us a a very cool package. Check that one out. You're going to love it. And uh, our fourth one, it was a Jurassic Classic rifle that we launched at the Jurassic. It's a uh, 7mm, and uh, that's donated by Tika Rifles mm-hmm. and uh, Steiner Optics. Um, so we launched that at, at Jurassic. Uh, there was a ton of sales on that at Jurassic already as well. Uh, beautiful rifle. So, four great raffles that we have out there. Um, but the key takeaway here is yeah, get some tickets, some great prize packages and you're supporting conservation, right? Throw 50 bucks in, 25 bucks in, and you're putting sheep on the mountain. And that's a big part of our funding model. So thank you for everyone that supports us. And certainly thank you to all our donors that that back us there too. So. Oh yeah, the, the, the best part about some of these these projects
0: is like we just did that Northern burn in late May. Is yeah, it's, a, it's a primarily a sheep project, but everything in that area that burns benefits. So there's mule deer, there's elk, there's moose, y- you name it. So you don't have to be a sheep hunter to get a benefit out of this. So when we do things like that, and you support it, it, it benefits the habitat and multiple multiple species. So pretty awesome that way as well.
1: Yep, awesome man. All right, so with that, episode eighty-eight, and this is such a cool episode. Uh, Kevin Dana, I consider him a friend. Uh, you know, I've I've known him now for close to a decade. Um, and Barney Sports Chalet is always a, a store that it, it's a place I love to go, and love to spend money. And, uh, Kevin's given me a lot of, uh, counsel over the years, just about sheep hunting gear. Uh, but you know, the thing I re- respect most about Kevin, he's super passionate about the resource and he's always trying to support wild sheep. Um, we, you know, always talking conservation and it's interesting. You'll see on this one, we kind of get into We get into some murky water here and we, you know, we talk about some controversial stuff that um, probably some of our listeners are going to go, shit, I don't like what they're talking about there. That's the stuff we need to talk about, right? There's some things happening in our community um, over this past few years that, you know, we need to have these dialogue, you know, and, and we're not advocating for anything in particular other than looking after wild sheep so that they'll still be there for, us to hunt in 10 years and our kids will be able to hunt them and their grandkids will be able to hunt them. So absolutely it's kind of where we're heading with it and it's, it's a bit spicy, but, and then we also get into some pack talk too. So, and I can tell you that when it comes to talking about different packs, um Kevin's the authority, man. Like there's people that know packs or maybe they know their packs inside out. But Kevin can talk about all of them. They carry, uh, Barneys carries of course their own brand, but they carry Kefaro, Stone Glacier, and uh, they know their stuff. And Kevin in particular knows his stuff. So uh, yeah, this is a great podcast, great chat with uh, Kevin Dana from Barneys Sports Chalet.
2: The perception of hunting, you know, has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters to Change it back, we've
1: spent the last few decades trying, you know, espousing that that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've it's fallen on deaf ears. All of our attempts. I think what what we have to do is is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are that are, you know, voting to get rid of hunting. They don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. Kevin, Mr. Barney Sports LA, how's it going? Going man?
2: good. How about you guys?
1: Awesome. So, okay, tell me how this works. Here we are. It's August 16th. Mm-hmm. It's the middle of sheep season and you make time to talk to us. We must be important. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, um it's funny cuz what I like to tell people when they come in this time of year they, they they always like to talk about how, well wait, you're still here why aren't you out hunting? Um you know, I uh I do something very unique and I let my employees go hunting before I go hunting. Uh that way I don't feel guilty.
1: So I, I know okay, you're a very benevolent guy, you're kind, caring, you're I've known you for years and I got I got so much respect for you, but I'm going to call bullshit. I know the reason you let them go now <laughs> is because the big rams are going to be in the rut and you're going to be out yeah, chasing them. Okay. You there might be a little them.
2: bit of that. I- <laughs> Although I will say, I uh, you know, it's a gamble though, because if I wait too long, um, you know, weather could come up and then I don't get to go at all. So that's the downside of waiting until the late season. But I do like late season hunting better than I do early season.
1: Well, and you kill big shit all the time, wow. so I guess there's a there's a bit
2: of a formula. Old there. shit, maybe old shit. I like old shit. Well, okay, so that's a great
1: place to start. So we're, I I want to talk packs today, but let's talk about literally the oldest ram ever killed in the history of hunting in Alaska. Let's talk about that right now. All right.
2: Well, yeah. Who 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 did that?
1: <laughs> okay, maybe it's not the oldest, but it's darn old. Sure. So okay, so you and I had this dialogue. This happened. Was it, it wasn't last fall? Was it two fall? last, last,
2: last last September.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So for our listeners, you and I, Kevin, we talk a lot. Like I I used to fly through Alaska. I'd come into the shop and talk to you all the time. And we, we talk about issues in our world, right? Like, you know, and, and one of the things we talked about was young rams. And that's a problem we're having in BC this past year. Um, It's been an issue for us. And uh, you're super passionate about, old mature rams and and uh so um that's one thing i've always respected about you is you're always killing old rams big big bears big big stuff so um tell us about that hunt last year and about all about the ram because it's it's pretty crazy and the whole the whole yeah, yeah. you know
2: went. uh you know keeping it short obviously but uh, all, all things aside you know i i kind of set out on this quest about four years ago um and i kind of came to the realization i mean i go to these shows i see a lot of big sheep you know getting killed obviously inches are a big thing in our world and you can't get away from that no matter what you do and and you could definitely make the point to argue that um it keeps us going as an organization as a society um inches are a big deal uh all things aside i kind of realized as a working class guy i'm probably never gonna have opportunity at killing one of those big you know 170 class world 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 record rams. and so I thought to myself, okay, paired with what I've been taught and kind of what I've been groomed to, uh, understand is obviously older animals, um, you know, are, uh, have their own special specialty to them also. Right. And so I started to really go after an old sheep and to do that, unfortunately I had to pass up on a lot of what our, our society would call legal rams, right. Um, legal sheep. And, uh, you know, obviously, it's very difficult to do, and I've told that story before, uh, where I've walked away. I mean, four years, and I would had I have no issues finding legal rams, um, but I've always wanted more than that. And uh, you know, I think to be fair, uh, you know, it, you can't just do that right out of the gate. You know, I, you know I'm never going to look at look down on somebody that shoots their first ram and it's seven years old or or whatever it might be. Um, I'm I'm totally on board with that idea, but I think at some point as a society we have to get to a point where it's not just about killing something every single year, especially with these sheep, right? I mean, the winters alone are, uh, are our own worst enemy. I mean, I think uh, it's fair to say you talk to most biologists that mother nature kills more rams than we do as hunters collectively. Um, and what we are seeing here, uh, as of lately is these winters are just crushing, uh, the age group of eight, nine, 10 year olds. Um, And those are our breeders, right? Those are our, those are the, the rams that, you know, obviously, uh, do the most spreading of their seed and, and hopefully pass down their genetics. And so, again, I sat out on this quest. Um, it was a very difficult one. I mean, it's hard enough sometimes to sit in a tent for 10 days, uh, and be away from your family and, and justify being gone, um. But I always felt like, uh, there was a reason that I was put in this scenario to, to, to take on this challenge. And, um, last year, uh, full circle, I mean, the fifth year of the quest, right. Um, I found a Ram that, uh, the age rings were predominant, uh, and you could not tell how old this sheep was, uh, and all you could really tell was it was old. And I just kind of knew in some way that this was it. And I mean, on that trip, I saw four other legal rams. Um, and so a hell of a trip, but, um, I just knew that if I was going to kill one, it had to be this guy or nothing. And it turns out that, uh, it quite possibly is one of the oldest sheep ever harvested. And so it was a full circle kind of journey that, uh, Gosh, I just uh, I can't express enough how how grateful I am to you know have found what I was looking for and uh you know to be able to look back and go hey man I passed up on four legal rams four consecutive years in a row um left them on the mountain because I felt there was a, a higher calling here and um yeah it's just it's a, such a special ram to me and and I sure hope that it in some way inspires other people to, um, you know, realize that there's more to it than just killing. And ultimately uh, we can't go on the way we are. Um, it's just, it's not, uh, it's not stable. It's not sustainable, I think is the better word. And um, that's really what, what I think sheep hunting is all about is finding s- sustainability so that we can enjoy doing this from year after year after year. Um, but if it's all about killing, I don't think we're ever going to, we're, we're going to be in that scenario for very much longer.
1: Yeah. Awesome, man. So, okay. Before we, I want to talk about that, but let's uh, tell me about the Ram. Tell, I, this, this thing was aged. I've seen pictures. Is there any way that we can use that picture for our cover picture for this podcast? <laughs> sure,
2: I mean, I'll get you a picture. No question.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I've seen that. Yeah, RAM you know, takeaways. I
2: mean, and certainly I think, um, you know, what we have to be careful with is biologists in general, um, you're going to have a lot of invarying opinions. Um, and I never, ever want to disrespect any biologists. Um, but our lead biologist for the Chugach Mountains, which is, you know, quite frankly, he's been doing it one of the longest. Tom Lohis is his name. He sealed the ram at 16 years old uh, with, the, with oh. the potential of it being 17. And since then, oh, since then I have had multiple people who, you know, quite frankly, I how the, how I like to put it is, Um, some of the opinions that I've received on this Ram, um, it's not that I would ever disagree with or agree with to an extent, right. I'm never going to like step on Tom's toes because somebody else feels like it's older or younger. Um, but I think the best statement I can make is some of these folks, uh, some of these guys, uh, have so much experience hunting sheep and have had so many Rams in their hand from all different mountain ranges that, uh, I'm not in a position to disagree with them. Um, or to, to object to their ruling. But I would say that there are folks uh, I've had a few people in general who feel this Ram could be 17 to 18 years old. Um, and, uh, all things aside, whether it's 18, whether it's 16, whether it's 12, um, it's just such a cool sheep. I mean, the, the body mass of this Ram was probably 75% of uh, that of a normal doll Ram. Um, at 10 years old, this Ram was not full curl. Uh, so, you know, you think about it, and to be quite honest, the, the horn growth on this ram was was actually not very good at all. Um, but with the smaller body, the smaller horns, I mean, the basis ended up being like 12 and a half inch bases, so nothing nothing crazy. Um, but it was enough to promote such uh, a possibility of a ram living to uh, this age. Um, and then you start to factor in the, the ecosystem in which it lived, right? So, in this portion of the state, uh, you know they don't get the silt. They don't get the glacial silt um, in the feet in the vegetation that uh, that some other rams do, especially some of our coastal areas where you know you see 170 inch rams and the longest they live is 10, 11 years old. Um, you know because their teeth wear out and so on and so forth. So the point about the silt would be uh, obviously you know they're not grinding their teeth as much, I and mean, that's at least a philosophy that I've heard from. From a number of people. Um, And again, you know, in a northern portion of Alaska where it stays extremely cold and consistently cold. So, you know, I think that's what we're seeing across the Yukon, across big parts of Alaska where we're getting this warm up and we're getting the rain, we're getting the freeze thaw cycles that uh, really just kind of are hard on these animals. And they're just not built for that. Uh, You know, if they've got to spend, you know, the energy breaking through ice and so on and so forth. I think that that's kind of what ends up happening with these winters is, you know, that I think what a lot of people don't understand is that age group, you know, like the the eight, the nine, the 10 year olds, those are your prime breeders. So when you, it comes up late October, November, when they're, when they're in full rut, um, instead of eating those Rams are expending an exorbitant amount of energy and calories breeding and fighting and, uh, ultimately, Those are the rams that come April, uh, March, April timeframe, they're hanging on by a thread. Uh, So if you have a hard winter and some of those rams are dead and they don't even know it yet. And that's really what I think we're seeing in North America in general is, you know, even just this year, I've seen a handful of seven-year-olds here in Alaska um, and I've seen some old rams, right? So I've seen some 13, 12, 13-year-old rams that have been harvested but no nine, 10, 11 year olds, uh, you know, eight year olds, it's, it's, uh, it's really sad to see. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I just happened to look out where this particular ram, uh, you know, even if somebody was to have come across him, even at 10, 11 years old, he wasn't, he wasn't legal, uh, on curl standards. Um, so it takes an educated, uh, hunter, I would say at some point too, to see those age rings. but. You know, that's really the history of that, of that full circle cycle, what we're seeing, I think, all over North America um, and what allowed me to find this particular ram that, you know, he wasn't a competitor uh, probably for most of his life. He had poor horn growth. He didn't have a lot of mass. He probably wasn't a contender and therefore got shooed away pretty early on in the season and didn't expend the calories uh, that some of those bigger, you know, mature, more massive rams um, expended. And therefore, you know, the recipe was just perfect for an ancient ram to, to kind of, to survive. Phenomenal, man. Um, I gotta, so you say there's
1: no eight, 9, ten, eleven year old,
2: right? There's none, but I'm just saying that that Wait. would be the age class that I feel most people would agree is quote unquote missing, uh, the eight, the nine, right. the 10 year olds, very little of them.
1: So I have a question for you on that now is I've heard a theory is, is it because that there was really poor winters and poor reproduction eight, nine, 10, 11 years ago? Is that, or are you just thinking that this is a harvesting that a lot of those mature rams have been harvested? Um just curious. On, on well, again, that I, I think right. I
2: would go back to uh, once again, I think that it's important to remember that mother nature likely kills more rams than we do as hunters. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to say that the us harvesting those rams, uh, helped the scenario. Um, but I think that it's a compounding thing where this is where I feel about the only thing we can do as hunters is, um, w- we can't control the winters. We can't control the breeding cycle. We can't control a lot of things, right? But what we can control is the harvest. And so you know, my, my issues are is you know, and again, I'm not a biologist, but I'm just from afar looking in on this. Uh, what I see is mother nature has, you know, whether it's global warming, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, climate change in general, where we're getting more of these warmer f- springs and then it freezes and then it thaws and so on and so forth. Um, that's hard to know. But, uh, what I do know is if that is the case and mother nature is, is, is changing course and it's really hurting these Rams, that's where as hunters, we have to step in and say, Hey, um, we got to protect this age class. Cause then what happens? Right? So let's say, uh, as we, as I mentioned, a lot of seven year olds are getting shot right now. You see that over in your neck of the woods as well. Right. Um, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because those are potentially your breeders for the next two to four years. Um, so, they're the only thing left, is my point. Um, so, you know, and certainly I think when you start to think about, you know, let's say, uh, you know, six to eight years old is what you would call mature breeding breeders, right? Somewhere in there, six to eight years old, they start to mature, and maybe by, you know, nine, 10 is their prime. I, I'm not 100% certain on that, but the point being is just more or less that, uh, you know, when that age class goes away, um, that makes it very difficult for the future. So if you're going to talk about looking eight years from now, uh, then we start to have kind of a questionable, like, are there enough breeders left um, to create enough population to where in eight years um, we have a sustainable population or, you know, what do those numbers look like? So that's, it's tough to, tough to know.
1: Yeah. All good points, man. So let's talk a little bit here about age and full curl. So obviously in Alaska, you guys are, um, you have to be full curl. Um, Regulation's a little bit different for thin horns in BC. Um, You have to be past the bridge of the nose or eight years old to be legal or mature. Um, So, you know, what we see in some areas, we get six-year-old rams that break the nose. So you can shoot a six-year-old and it's completely legal. It could be three inches past the nose, just genetically they're different. And then there's other areas that hold these old rams. They'll never break the nose. Um, Government biologists are trying to encourage people to shoot full curl because it's easy, right? Like if it's past the nose, there's no question. But in some cases they're killing these six-year-old, seven-year-old rams and it happens a lot. Um, So it's interesting, you know, that's the argument, you know. Some people say, "Well, just go to full curl," and um, I, I don't, I don't, or whatever, pass the nose. And I, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, for sure, for identification, it makes it easier. But it behooves us as hunter conservationists to be killing those older rams, right? Educating ourselves, and again, there's a whole areas that you'd never kill a, an old ram because they're not even past the nose. Right. So, you know, that's where this age and educating yourself thing is so important. And I love it when we come into the shop and talk to you, that's something you're always try, you're, like, you're, you know, that's something you advocate all the time. Right. So it's, it's interesting that, that we see that, that, you know, uh, in, in Alaska, do you guys get six, seven year old rams that are full curl and they're they're yeah. legal, but they're yeah, not. And I
2: mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little backstory too. I mean, um, uh one of the reasons that I went on this uh you know, I, I kind of came to a realization of you know of things and I, I decided to kind of put myself to the test and really go after an old Ram was um I killed a Ram in 2019. No, I guess it eight, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Um and uh he was 40 inches and seven years old. And um I don't know what it was about that ram, but it really did not sit well with me that I had shot a seven-year-old. And uh, I don't care about the inches. I mean, granted, it's easy for me to say when you've, when you've killed a few long sheep, it's easy to kind of go, okay, well, you know, you can start going after an old one now. And I know that you can't ask that of everybody. I, I really do understand that. And I, I, I like to get that point across because I think sometimes it can come across a little arrogant and, you know, that's not my intention at all. It's just more or less at some point, the message has to be get the sheep, get the first ram out of the way, get the second ram out of the way, whatever it is for you, for you to feel internally, hey, I've accomplished this um, and then start to challenge yourself more. Right. Um, And so shooting that seven year old uh, really kind of opened my eyes to the idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, I need to do more as a hunter to look at this animal. Um, now you can't ask somebody to walk away from a 40 inch ram. You just can't do that. Um, <laughs> but I think all, all you take that scenario out of it and just the bigger picture of, you know, what is the first thing that anybody says when they shoot a ramp? Well, how long was it? Well, give me some measurements, right? Well, how old was it? Right. That's the question that needs to be more asked more often in my opinion, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean. There are some, you know, there's areas everywhere. I think that sheep inhabit where there's going to be genetics that promote younger sheep that have just great growth, big bases, you know, that, you know, you can't turn your nose up at somebody for shooting one. But, um, you know, you talk to fish and game here in Alaska and, and I think that it's a very difficult scenario for them because the full curl regulation kind of, you know, full curl eight years old, or what we would call double broomed or double broken, um, uh, in general encompasses, let's say 90 to 95% of what we would call mature sheep, but there's always going to be that varying, you know, uh, genetic that just kind of promotes a longer Ram or whatever it might be that is younger. And that's, that's an anomaly that you just, I don't think you can really, you can't create anything to fix that problem. But, um, I think that, you know, what we're going to have to start looking at here in Alaska potentially is, is some kind of uh, a reward system for age and or potentially, uh, you know, uh, a one every two or a one every three or a one every four years just so that we can start to make people more selective and we can start to make people understand there's a big, you know, these animals are not around every corner and the way that we're going is um, it's going to be, it's going to get progressively harder and harder and harder if mother nature keeps doing what she's doing, which again, we cannot control, but as hunters, there are things we can control. And I think that, you know, having conversations like this is, is a great start. Um, I mean, as you and I have had many a times, you know, you're not going to get through to everybody, but Hey, if one person, uh, challenge themselves hey i've got two or three sheep i'm gonna look for a unique one i'm gonna look for an old one i'm gonna look for something i don't already have instead of this narrative of oh how many sheep do you have how many sheep have you harvested um i've always been a quality over quantity type of guy and i'd like to think there's more people like that and and uh I, i sure hope there is
1: yeah for sure and it's interesting, you know. Anytime you start restricting opportunity, people start getting antsy, right? For like, sure. Um, but but you know, I'm, I'm hearing more of that in BC here too. Like you know, one in five, one and three, and and you know that was some of the proposals. We just we just had an area that was general open season that went to um, a draw system. Leh, we call it in BC, and uh, you know that's one of the things that came up. We'll put them on one and three or one in five. And the bio said, "Well, one in three does nothing because most guys don't. You know, there's not enough guys that kill." Um, more than one ram every three years to make a difference. Uh, But that's one of the things we're hearing is like, you know, you shoot an eight-year-old ram. Well, you can, you know, maybe take a year or two off. You shoot a nine-year-old ram, you get less time off. You shoot a 10-year-old, you shoot an 18-year-old ram or 16-year-old ram, you get to go hunting next year, right? right? You shoot a six-year-old, you take 10 years off or whatever. So um, definitely promotes the age thing. And at least, we're talking about it. We're getting people thinking about it, that age does matter, right? So uh, I think it's a good thing, um, but it's, you know, th- these are tough discussions, right? But they the really problem are. is there's people out there that are out there killing six-year-old, seven-year-old rams every year, and they just go back and do it, do it again and again. And it's legal. So how can,
2: yeah.
1: you know, yeah, I guess we can give a hard time, with but you. it's legal. I'm with
2: you on, you know, I never want to make it seem like I want to take away even my own opportunity to hunt rams every year. But here's what I think. Uh, what, what I think the bigger picture is, 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 uh, just because you don't have a tag in your pocket doesn't mean you can't hunt sheep every year, right? I mean, the way I was taught to hunt sheep, the, the actual harvesting portion is just a small percentage of what the actual hunt is, right? I think anybody that's done that eight to 10 day grueling backpack trip, you're eating mountain house every day, you're living in a floorless teepee tent, whatever it is, you're, know wearing the same pair of socks. You got the camaraderie. Um, you know, who's to say you don't have a hunting partner and, uh, it's his turn next year, you know, or if you got a group of two or three guys that want to go hunting every year, we could still enjoy the essence of sheep hunting. Um, but that doesn't mean that all three of you got to kill every year. You know what I mean? I think that there's a, there's, there's more to a sheep hunt and there really needs to be more to a sheep hunt than the killing aspect of it, or else, um, we're going to continue down this road, uh, until... You know, we're sitting here talking one day, and it's all draw, or you know, um, you know, it's kind of like Montana or some of these places where it would be a lifelong dream to to harvest one of these things. I mean, it's easy for us, right? We we live in places where we can hunt sheep every year, and I think because of that, it's it's our responsibility to at least bring to the forefront some ideas to to preserve that, especially again once when we start to see some of those factors that maybe weren't a factor 10 years ago, I mean, we didn't have these hard winters 10 years ago. Um, you know, when, when mother nature starts to change course, we have to change course too. Um, we can't just continue to say, well, I want to hunt sheep every year and I want this and I want that. I agree. I love sheep hunting. I love going. And I would be, if, if all three of us here were hunting buddies and, uh, you know, Kyle's up this year, you know? we're going to split that ram up. Uh, we're all going to, you know, roast a tenderloin over the fire and we're going to have this memory locked in our memories for years. And guess what? Next year it's my turn. Uh, so on and so forth. Um, what's wrong with that? I don't understand where it came down to this. They're, they're my sheep. I have to be able to hunt them every year. Um, I personally feel like because they are, we live in these places where we have this vast opportunity to hunt them every year. That's why it's so important that we be the reason. We be the people that step forward and say, "Hey, we got to do something to preserve this right." Um, and if that means we have to cut back a little bit, and if that's what's best for the sheep, let's do it. Uh, I don't have a problem doing it.
1: Yeah, that that's such sage advice. And you know, I, I think the takeaway there is exactly what you said: is that. You know, sit there and do nothing, and then we're all on a, on a draw system, and you're waiting twenty years for the that draw of a lifetime, or or a lifetime, and you never see it. And I think that that's that's something we have to take seriously. I honestly think it's a threat here in BC. I think you know, like you said before, it's probably a threat in Alaska. And I think that you know, some of us take it for granted, and we can't. Sheep hunting is a privilege. It's not a right, and uh, it can go away tomorrow. It truly could go away tomorrow if we don't we don't give it the respect it deserves heavy shit man yeah. wow and we're going to talk about back Yeah we got all the <laughs> this
2: things can happen
1: every time You know it does you know and how many times have I come into the store and it's been kind of a quiet day it's not your your peak season we sit there and talk about the shit that's happening in our world that's really relevant and uh, you know how can we make things better what can we do and um you know there's been lots of times you know I have sat there and then you're you're like I'm writing a letter and you know you send a letter off to fishing game or maybe it's the foundation and you know just you know, and it's great that we have these conversations and it's great that we think about it and talk about it and dialogue. It's, it's so important. So, um, yeah, cool. What other problems are we going to solve? Tonight, uh, bro,
2: Kevin? I don't know. Uh, you know, and the reality would be is, once again, I, I like to I like to, you know, we could end with, uh, you know, giving giving our, you know, especially here in Alaska. I got to give my fishing game a little bit of credit. You know, I mean, I'd hate to hate to ever see, you know, this come across the wrong way. I know these guys are doing everything they can do. And I mean, especially, you know, Alaska's big, right? But I mean, look at the country that you guys live in where um, you just simply can't survey some of this stuff, right? You you just simply can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that that's a vital aspect as a biologist is being able to put your thumb on what are we dealing with number-wise. Um, so I think they're doing a pretty good job. And I, I think that, uh, you know, the part of it that really sucks is the political aspect. I mean, You've got guides, you've got outfitters, you've got air taxis, you've got resident hunters, you've got non-resident hunters. Um, you've got a lot of a lot of moving parts here. And uh, I think my main message is just not necessarily that it's Fish and Game's fault uh, or that they're doing anything wrong. It's just that I think collectively, all those groups need to come together and uh, do what's best for the sheep. And I know that that's a, a very easy thing to say, but I think that's honestly our biggest challenge as hunters is is uh you know taking a step back and and really figuring out a way to work together and not point fingers and not say well i want this and you should have that and uh but we see a lot of that here in alaska and it's just really sad man i i uh some days i just hang my head because i you know i have um you know we've got a resident hunters organization up here that advocates for resident hunting rights and and they're a vital vital part of our voice as residents. And then you have your, you know, your, your guide association that is that uh, they're doing their best as well. And, you know, I don't think they're ever going to get the best rap, but at the end of the day, you know, I know for sure as a former guide that there are a lot of good ones out there that do understand. Uh, But then there are a lot of bad ones, just like there are resident hunters. And unfortunately it turns into this, you know, this pissing match essentially on whose sheep uh, are they, you know, and, who's who's who has the right for to, to the heart of them and um that's where i just hang my head and i just i just wish that we could all sit down and and come up collectively with a solution that that uh, wasn't necessarily about us as human beings but as what's best for these sheep because at the end of the day they don't understand climate change <laughs> they don't understand po- politics um and uh Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's really the discussion. And it's not really about solving, you know, the world's problems, I suppose, as it is just, uh, gosh, you know, we all love these animals. And, and, uh, you know, I I know, I'm truly passionate, and I share that passion with so many people. Uh, But I think it can't just be um, well, you know, you go into the sheep show this year and, oh, are you a life member? And, you know, oh, you know, are you going to get to go hunting this year? It, it should be about more than that. And we have to preserve that opportunity and, and not just stop at words. And that's kind of where we come to those crossroads that I just don't know what the answer is, man. Yeah, no, it's, uh,
1: tough decisions to make. Um, okay. So I'm going to segue a yeah, little bit good. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh but well i'm actually gonna up the uh the controversy factor but uh i just want to know how do you you feel about talking about the brooks range closure you want to go into that or you want to leave it alone i know it's a little yeah sure There's it's okay Uh, because it's i know there's a few things going on behind the scenes more than meets the eye so it's a bit controversial but um so for our listeners that don't know um, can you just give a little like the the thirty second background of what happened here last
2: month Yeah, so basically um, we have a federal subsistence board here, um, you know, I think in general across uh, the United States, but in Alaska specifically, they've really been very proactive about uh, closures and giving giving up hunting ride opportunities back to the natives and and you know what I'm all for that in some degree. Um, but basically what just happened in the Brooks range is they closed a big portion of access for um, doll sheep hunting in the Southern and then Northwestern portion of the Brooks range, which is the heart of access for, uh, hunters who are either hunting on foot via packraft, um, you know, that want to drive up and hike in off the road. Um, and they essentially closed it based on a recommendation from a local, uh, who, um, you know, on his opinion felt that the population was suffering and I am not going to contest that. I, I don't know that for sure. So I'm not going to speak to that, but basically, um, the fishing game, our local fishing game uh, as a state, uh, did not agree with the decision, but it passed anyway. And so I think like all of us, um, we get a little concerned when we start to see those things as you, as you touched on briefly, as far as taking away hunting rights, um, but uh, our federal subsistence board, it's, uh, it's a scary thing because, you know, there was supposed to be two days of testimony um, and they cut it short and just went ahead and voted. And I think it was a unanimous seven to nothing vote. And, you know, I know lots of people were trying to call in and, and give their opinions. And so, you know, basically it's a, uh, it's a threat to our, our rights as hunters. And uh, I don't agree with it at all.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one for sure. And it's uh- <clears throat> Certainly controversial, um, and, and so uh, it, was sh- it was such short notice and so uh, uh, impactful. I, I know that uh, SCI Alaska got you know uh, made some noise about it and stuff like that, but it's gone pretty quiet. So do you know anything what's going on around with that right
2: now, or is it just? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, unfortunately, closed. that's kind of the that's the problem, right? Is it's uh, what are you going to do? Um, you know, are you going to who's going to sue them? Uh, who's going to contest it? How's it going to? I mean. Yeah. Honestly, man, I, I just don't know. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And you know, the, the other problem is, is that these things go and they go so fast and they go so quiet and, um, and that's how they win every time, you know, they go fast, they go quick and they go quiet. And uh, next thing you know, it's, you know, last year it was the caribou up there this year, it's the sheep, you know? And so my, my opinion is, is, you know, probably similar to how you guys feel over there in BC sometimes is what's next. Um, and how do we how do we know about it sooner so that we can help? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man, it, it sucks. You know, it's just, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense from a biology standpoint, nor does it just from a political standpoint of, you know, they're going to close it for two years. And you know, some people say, Oh, well, you know, in two years, they're going to reevaluate it. Well, what's the history of these things? You know, they don't ever reopen. They don't ever go back to the yeah. way it was. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: so funny that the issues I talked to you about your issues in Alaska, and we have similar ones in BC and we we've got a, a, a similar issue going on over here and it just, uh, yeah, closures and, and just, uh, yeah, we'll do it for a year or two. And yeah, anyway, so lots of parallels there and we'll, we'll leave that one for another day. So Uh, okay, cool. So we originally were going to talk packs, but this actually got spicy and was good. But, uh, so let's do that anyway. So let's jump into the pack thing. So, okay. You know, what kind of spawned this is, you know, we talk about gear and and there's absolutely no question that you're the gear expert. Um, I've been buying my stuff from you for years. And the one thing I love about coming to your store is that, you know, you have your own branded stuff, which is quality stuff. I actually like to run your stuff and quite often do. I'm wearing, I'm wearing your sweater as we speak. Um, But um, when I come in and ask you your advice, you're like, no, 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 don't buy this Barney's product or this uh, Frontier Gear of Alaska product. You need this for that item. That's the one thing about you. And Bob was the same. It was always like, no, no, for this application, you need this. Um, You run your own packs, but you also carry a plethora of other brands. Um, So anyway, a buddy of mine, my cousin reached out and said, hey, I need a pack. He's like, and I'm, I'm going elk hunting. What do I need? And I'm like, uh, I'm like, okay. So I gave him some bullshit advice, which is probably all wrong. And I'm like, Kevin's the guy we want to talk. So let's talk specifically about sheep hunting. So, um, you're a sheep hunter. Um, let's use like the average, like quote resident hunter, some dude, Alaska, BC, he can go out on a GOS every year, um, going to sheep hunt, um, are you sending guys out to buy him external frames, internal frames? He's probably going to hunt caribou next yep. year. Year after, maybe moose. Year after that, probably sheep again, or maybe sheep every
2: year. What, what is a guy like that? What's he looking yeah, for? Yeah, you know, and I think that that's an important, important question, right? Or important part of what you just said is it's not necessarily just about that particular hunt that you want to evaluate, right? I think, you know, um, sometimes I have to take a step back too because I've got the option to do anything, right? And certainly biased. Uh, but all things aside, I think it's important, if you really want to be genuine, to really find out what kind of hunter that person is. There's no right or wrong answer, right? I mean, especially here at Barneys, I mean, we carry Kefaru packs, we carry Stone Glacier packs, we obviously make our own packs. Um, and those are, those are three, arguably three of the top brands in the industry, at least as of today, Um, and it's not about me selling our product. Like if it's about that, then I'm in the wrong business. I just, I'll walk away. Right. So I like to evaluate the hunter and figure out what's going to be the best bang for your buck, um, both from a financial perspective and to encompass who you are as a hunter and what you plan on doing. So yes, you have this sheep hunt in front of you. I'm on board with it. Um, okay. What else do you do? Well, you know, I've got, I, I live in Southeast Alaska. I hunt deer a lot. I hunt goats a lot. Um, well, okay. In my head, the gears are turning, right? And um, honestly, if I'm going to go down to Southeast Alaska and hunt goats or deer, I'm not going to take a Barney's pack. Um, and there's a big reason for that, and that's because Barney's packs definitely are a little bulkier, they're a little bit heavier, but most importantly, you know, they're dealing with a lot more brush, um, and and they're not hauling uh, the kind of loads that you know necessarily anyway for the for the longevity. Um, that you would typically on a sheep hunt, and so can they get through with a stone glacier and a kafar? Absolutely, and so we start to evaluate the frame systems and so on and so forth. Now, at that same point, if somebody says, "Hey, I'm a big moose hunter, but my buddy invited me on this sheep hunt, and I need a new pack," um, okay, uh, wow, you know, there moose hunting and sheep hunting—they have some similarities. I think people think that uh, moose hunts or you know hauling big moose quarters is is some of the heaviest loads you're going to carry. And I don't disagree with that, especially from an awkward perspective. Can a stone glacier or a kafaru pack carry a moose quarter? Absolutely. Um, It's not really about whether the pack can do it. It's about how it feels when you get that big load on there. So the best way I could put it is, is after evaluating people uh, and kind of what's going to be the best pack for them, if they can buy one pack, what's going to be the best pack for them broad spectrum? Um, Because they can all do it. Uh, but I think the argument really comes in when you start to talk about if you're going to be carrying a big load for a consistent amount of time. So if you're going to be, if you're, if you're, you know, think of it as in a pie graph, for example, like what's your pie graph? If if this, this particular sheep hunt is just a sliver of what you do and the rest is, hey, I'm going to be carrying 40, 50 pounds max. You know, we drag our deer, we have four wheelers, we have boats, we have airplanes. Um, I really don't need to be able to carry hundred plus pounds consistently. Okay, well, a Barney's pack may not be the best best pack for you. Um, and so I think the big thing I'm getting at is just evaluating the person and their end use. Um, where our packs really come into the market is when you're carrying 80 to hundred plus pounds consistently. That's why you're going to see guides up here running them. And then of course, I think the big misconception, and you can always tell somebody that's never done it, hauling a a sheep with your camp by yourself is arguably the longest you're ever going to carry a big load uh, with any species on the planet, in my opinion. Um, And that's kind of where I think some people will come in and say, well, I kind of want a stone glacier or a kafaru or an EXO or a Kuyu pack for like my sheep hunts. But then I got my Barneys pack for hauling moose. And you know, it's always interesting because you can always tell that they've never hauled (laughs) a whole sheep by themselves, because <laughs> there isn't, to my knowledge and from my experience, there isn't a hunt on the planet where you're going to carry more weight for a longer amount of time than a sheep hunt. So I think it's important to to note that when you get to that 100 pound mark, that's really where the comfortability of that 100 pounds comes in. So you know uh, these frame systems nowadays, Stone Glacier's making a phenomenal frame, Kafaru makes a phenomenal frame. Um, you know, it's almost like trying on boots. I personally feel like fitting packs and trying on boots is so similar because everybody's foot's different. Everybody's back's different. Everybody's torso length's different. Um, so first of all, w- trying on the packs I think is the biggest key and that's what makes Barney so unique because you can come in, you can try on our frame pack. You can try on stone glaciers frames. You can try on Kuyu's frames, or I'm sorry, not Kuyu's frames, uh, Kafaru. Um, and you can really get a feel for which pack fits your body the best. And then from there, we start to dissect, okay, now what do you do? You know, what's going to fit, you know, what's going to fit your end use the best? Um, but yeah, the great thing is there's really no wrong answer. It's just a matter of figuring out who you are and what you do and how much of it you do.
0: Sounds like I need to get up there because I, I borrowed uh, Kyle's, the the Yukon. Was it that one gal? Yeah, that's right. And I, I ran it here for some, for about a month, month and a half for just some practice hikes. And I could not get it to fit on me for some reason. Yeah. Kyle came, Kyle came up and Mike, his buddy came up and they, they just couldn't get it to sit on me for some reason. So I, I definitely got yeah, well, no, to figure I, that I out.
2: That's a great point. And I think it, it, it goes right into my, my point about, um, you know, even if I, even if I know, you know, even if we get like, let's say Kyle sends, sends somebody in and says, Hey, my buddy, Kyle, um, he sent me in here. He said, I have to have a Barney's pack. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at it. Right. Um, then we start to look and them. What do you know? The guy's five, eight short torso. Um, I'm having a hard time fitting him. You know, at the end of the day, this may not be the pack for you. Uh, and that's really the important part of you can't just play the Ford Chevy game where, hey, my, my buddy said this is the best. My buddy said that's the best. Again, very similar to footwear mm-hmm. um, in that we get people that come in and say, hey, you know, my buddy said lower boots are the best. All right. Well, yeah, let's try some lower boots. But at the same time, I want to throw something else at you too. And I want to see kind of what fits your foot. And I think that when you get into this game of mountain hunting in general, or if you want to start really getting into like quality stuff, I think it's important to note that not every one pack or one boot is going to fit everybody or everybody's end use. Um, and in your case um, this pack was fitted to Kyle um, and it works really well for Kyle. Well um, this isn't a, you know, not to get into names, but this isn't an off your shelf, you know, $120 frame, right? This is a, a custom product that needs to be fitted. And that's, that's, that, that's the same thing with Kefaru. That's the same thing with um, stone glacier packs. Um, we need to figure out torso length. We need to figure out, you know, we want to make sure this pack fits you. So when you get that big load on, it's not shifty. It's not sitting all on your shoulders. It's not sitting all on your hips. Um, so, you know, pack fitting is huge. And I think it's the most overlooked, um, aspect of pack buying in general is, you know, Hey guys, you know, these packs can be fitted and they need to be furthermore. And we're preparing you for that big load. Um, and so just as you saw, you took a pack from somebody else, you threw it on, you threw some weight in there and it just didn't fit you right. Well, that's not surprising. Um, and to be fair, um, you know, Barnes pack may not be for you, man. I mean, it, it, I would have to, I would have to see now the, the chances are pretty darn good that, uh, it would work for you if fitted properly. Um, but the point I think I'm trying to make is bigger picture, um, you know, it not every one pack is for everybody that's just a reality
0: yeah it's 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 things you don't think of right it's uh after for running the the cheap packs like the 120 dollar ones you're referring to it never took them on a mountain hunt but just i thought that's was the be-all end-all and putting on like even when it didn't fit me quite properly the the barneys it was night and day compared to some of the cheaper ones and it Definitely would be interested in getting one fitted properly to to do this, and yeah, definitely got to make it up there. Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome. Okay, so um, you know, with uh, packs, like there's so much innovation going on these days, right? Like, and and I know you're innovating. You and I, we're talking about some uh, some exciting stuff that you're working on. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spill any beans here, but uh, super cool um what some of the stuff that you're talking about doing and you guys have always been innovators at barney's for, for decades now um any innovations or anything coming out right now that are particularly exciting any with any of the general like i guess the three ones that you guys carry or, or what anything that we should be watching for them oh
2: uh, well yeah like you said i, I mean I, I am working on on a couple things and as if anybody that's been watching our packs you know uh i was handcuffed for a long time on being able to do some of the things i wanted to do and the cuffs are off. Um, and so, you know, as you've noted, you know, we came out with a lumbar pad, um, a few years ago, I've been working on that for years. It's a very simple design, but, um, it's impressive what that lumbar pad can do under a big load, uh, with an external frame. It, it really is a, a very huge aspect of what our packs are all about. And it really bridges the gap for people that need some lumbar support. So as you saw, we came out with that, we came out with a water bottle holder this year. Um, you know, we're working with some new fabrics, but, um, you know, within our own realm, you know, I think it's important to realize that, um, you know, Bob was a really big part of kind of grooming me to this train of thought. And that's that, you know, nobody's really reinventing the wheel here. Right. And I think it's important to note that. And it's, it's, you can make the wheel better. Um, you can fine tune it. Um, but at the end of the day, when you start to get too far out away from your original ideas and concepts, um, that's when you start to see problems. And I think that that's the great thing about Barney's is, you know, a lot of our gear, yeah, it stays similar. And I think that sometimes we even get a bad rap for that. Well, your packs haven't changed in, you know, 20 years. Okay. Um, well, as it, is it causing you problems or, you know, are you, what, what are we missing here? Well, nothing really. I just, you know, you guys aren't really doing anything new and techie and sporty. And, and I'll tell you that, um, one thing that you don't see from us is what we are doing on the back back end of things. I mean, I have experimented with Cuban fiber materials. I've experimented with lots of other sailcloth and laminated fabrics to try to lighten up things, to try to go that direction of being more competitive with some of these ultralight packs out there. And uh, what you don't see is the, the huge failures. Um, and uh, a lot of people think that we're not we're not up with the times. We're not working with these fabrics. We're not trying to do what some of these other companies are doing. And I can tell you uh, we are, but I'm not willing to compromise the reputation of the pack just to lighten it up. And I send these packs out. I have, I have two packs out right now with some fabric that I think potentially could could be a huge game changer, but it might not work. Um, and I might be right back to the drawing board. There's a lot of fabrics that some of these companies out there are using and, uh, in some ways they're very innovative and they are lightweight and some water resistance to them as well. Um, but at the end of the day, again, uh, it's very tough to beat what we've already created and what a lot of, uh, other pack companies are using in, in the sense of, uh, 500 D Cordura or 400 D Cordura. I mean, certainly you can get into some of these lighter weight fabrics and save weight, but what's the longevity? Um, and so. We are doing a lot of that behind the scenes. And I think that uh, we get a bad rap sometimes because we're not publicizing that. And uh, I mean, quite frankly, it's just, I just don't like to publicize failures. Um, and if I'm going to make a change or if I'm going to add a product, I hope that people understand that because we've added it and it's out there, it's tried and true. you know, it's not a, it's not a test experiment. Uh, we send these things out with guides who are putting 10 foot brown bear hides in their packs and flopping them down on the ground and slamming them down. And, um, if they can't pass the test of, you know, a guy doing four to five sheep hunts a year and some goat hunts and some bear hunts, then we're just simply not going to release it. Uh, and so, I mean, I kind of got off the, off the question there a little bit, but, um, <laughs> as far as innovations go, I mean, um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the industry, no question. But I think the bigger point is, is, you know, um, you don't want to be when you're going to spend six to 800 bucks and, and potentially even North or South of that, whatever you'd want to call it. um, Sometimes I think the old fashioned tried and true is, is the way to go. And I think that's kind of where, you know, you see this full circle where guys come back to Barney's packs uh, over the years. Um, They leave and they go try something new. And um, you know, I think in, in Alaska in your guys' neck of the woods, it's, uh, it's so much different than the heart of the industry. The heart of the industry, it, it is not a great reflection of what we will experience in, in up here in Alaska or in your neck of the woods where guys are consistently putting 100 plus pounds on their back uh, for long periods of time. Um, that's just not the game. I mean, one guy hauling out an animal all by himself, that's just not typical of the Midwestern or Northwestern states. And so- Uh, you know, once again, I think from a pack perspective that needs to be said, I think that people need to understand that there's a reason why we're doing the things we're doing. Um, and there's a reason why a lot of people use Barney's packs both here and in Canada. Um, and it's not because we're the lightest. It's not because we're the techiest. It's not because we're out there, you know, trying to make the lightest pack. We just want to make a pack that's functional for the, for the hunter that is actually out there doing those things.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you talk about field testing and all that sort of stuff. Was it it a decade ago, a major pack manufacturer came out with a super kick-ass lightweight pack? and the frame just kept failing like significantly and there's a lot of guys that were screwed in the field and um you know so that's the sort of stuff you're dealing with and that's the one thing with you you know lots of times you're like yeah i'm, I'm prototyping this but um you know you, you talked about the stuff that you're doing right now behind the scenes but it, there's no way that that's going to go to the market until it's tried exactly. and been through a season and failed and and then off you go right exactly so, i i I had a buddy of mine, uh, Matt. He's from from Anchorage, and uh, he he'd gone brown bear hunting with a Barney's, and um, he was up there. He ended up going solo. His buddy ended up I don't know something happened, and he went solo, killed a brown bear, got it in the pack, and started heading down the hill. And about halfway down the hill, he's just fucked. He was done. He was just so he, he dropped the bag, and he was you know there was some weather, and he was just worried, and he literally drug the the bear off the mountain he it was on the ground he had no energy he couldn't he couldn't stand anymore so he just drug you know there was snow and he's like well there's seven hundred bucks I'm buying a new pack for my buddy it's like there's no way he gets back to camp cleans up gets home cleans the pack up and he he's like this thing there's nothing wrong with it like it's right. Like he was just blown away that, and so he told his buddy, and he's like, "If you don't, if you want me to buy you a new one, but there was no damage. It was like, he's like, these things are in- indestructible.' Certainly,
2: certainly, there's a lot of stories like that, and it's always fun to. Obviously, we don't we don't uh, suggest that you do those things, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that uh, again, I I have to tread lightly here because I I do uh, I do value the relationship I have with Stone Glacier and Kafaru both, and I I personally do feel like there is a huge uh, market for those packs. Um, and I think most importantly, the fit aspect, you know, there's always going to be different body types and things like that. And people that just from a full circle, what there is on their agenda on an annual basis, those packs might be best suited for them um, because they are making a hell of a pack. And I think that if you start to look at prior to Stone Glacier, prior to Kafaru, what was there, right? I mean, you had, you know, I'm not even going to go into the brand names, but I think we all know, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of great options. Um, so what Kurt has done, what Aaron Schneider has done with those companies is phenomenal. I mean, they have really opened the door for the average hunter that just maybe just isn't carrying those big loads consistently or just in general likes the fit and the overall aspect and the accessories and the modularity of those packs. Um, as an industry, we are so far ahead of where we were even ten years ago. Um, so it, it's important to note that that there's a, there are a lot of good options, and and uh, I would have this same conversation to anybody that called here, that emailed me, that I ran into down at the show. Um, I am very unbiased, and sometimes I think it's a it's it's like the bad businessman in me, um, because <laughs> I'll just flat out tell someone like I don't think a Barney's pack's for you, or you know, whatever it might be. Um, And you, maybe you should go this route. Maybe you should go that route, go talk to so-and-so. But they certainly have their place. And I think that overall, they should be a consideration as old school as they are in terms of overall design. We really have done a lot uh, over the years, innovation-wise. I mean, we've added straps here. We've changed buckle tensioners here. We've, you know, added some accessories. we've, We've stuck to the guns on the 500D from a durability perspective. And then time in and time out, um, you're, you know, you look at what these guides and outfitters are using and what some of these serious guys are using, and it's hard to ignore the abuse that they put these packs through, um, and they just keep going. Uh, and so, you know, Bob really did a, a, a huge solid for me, obviously laying the groundwork on those packs and, uh, I'm just carrying the torch, man. I'm, I'm trying to make them a little bit better here or there, but at the end of the day, it's not my design, but, uh. I used a Barney's pack long before I worked here, um, and I'll be using a pack, uh, one of them, for the rest of my life, no question. As long as I'm able to, to hunt, I'm going to be using one for sure.
1: Awesome. So you're telling me the Everly Stock J34, I used the first hey, year. Hey, you said exactly it, not back. me, not
2: me. I don't, <laughs> don't want to get in trouble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and nothing against Everly stock, but I can tell you the J 34 is not your ideal sheet pack. I'm just saying. So uh, maybe it is for like a one day hunt. I don't know, but I can tell you that last day with my Ram on my backpacking out, it was fucked.
2: Well, and that's a great, <laughs> that's a, a great pleasant. point, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, you live through experience. Uh, and I think that uh, the most important thing that I tell my salesmen and my guys that I have working for me, um, and I try to remind myself even is you know, we'll get a young guy that walks in and you cannot, you cannot fast forward that person's experience to where you are today. And so oftentimes we'll get somebody that comes in and you can tell they're on a budget. You can tell that, uh, you know, maybe they're a younger guy that's, you know, working through, uh, in terms of what he can afford and they'll, you know, start breaking it down and go, okay, what do you got? All right. Well, I've got an old, uh, you know, Everly stock or I've got a, you know, whatever it might be. He's already got a pack that can it do it? Yeah, it can do it. It's not gonna be fun. Um, but what he doesn't have is a good pair of boots or a good tent yeah. um or good rain gear, right? Um and so you have to level with them and say, here's the deal, dude. We don't all start at the top. Uh you've got some Danner pronghorns, you've got your Everly stock pack, um, you've got your uh military rain gear. Go out and do it. Uh and and that's how we learn. Um and just because we only sell top-end gear doesn't mean that um, we're going to treat somebody in a way that, you know, pushes them away from us or, you know, makes them spend every last dime that they have in their pocket. I think that's an important part of, as you mentioned, um, how did we get to this point? You know, we got to this point because we went out and put a full sheep in an Everly stock pack, or we, you know, wore through a pair of Danner pronghorns on one trip or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, That's an important part of, of how we learn and uh, not everybody starts at the top. So I think as a, as a, as a hunter, as a person who is looking to invest in a backpack, um, you know, if you're at that point where you've done it and you're like, dude, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to buy a quality pack. Great. Uh, Let's have a conversation about some of the top brands out there and figure out what's going to work for you. But at the end of the day, um, if you've got a pack that works, but you're suffering in other areas, I encourage that person to focus on those other areas um and get by with what they have for as long as they can and if for no other reason just so that they can sit on the mountain and and curse that pack uh to all high heaven right <laughs> to the point where they know the first thing they're going to do is walk in here when they're done with that hunt and buy a new backpack.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's all about priorities, right? So um okay, so uh, we're getting long on the on the call here but um one last thing um So Stone Glacier came up with the Terminus 7,000 this year. Um, All uber lightweight, pretty cool pack. Uh, What's the feedback on that? Super sweet looking pack. I've had it on several times. I've never hunted with it. So what's that thing like? Yeah, you
2: know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's for a particular style of hunting and a particular scenario. Um, The fabric itself is something to pay attention to. I think you're going to see a lot more companies. Uh, I'm not going to say anything more than that, but you're going to see a lot more companies using, um, this, it's a new form of sail cloth. Uh, it's, uh, it's made by a company called challenge. Um, and they have, they are very innovative in their fabrics. And I can tell you that from preliminary testing, um, this fabric is, is, is here to stay. You know, we did see quite a bit of issues with Cuban fiber. Uh, you know, there was Cuban fiber with laminated Cordura uh, there's XPAC that a lot of companies are using, even talking to a guy like Aaron Schneider, and you start to look at some of their designs. Um, XPAC is still not as durable as Cordura. And so all things aside, the Terminus uh, is more of an internal. So you're going to have, um, you know, more straight stays, but all things aside, um, <coughs> sorry, I get something in my throat, <coughs> but uh, yeah. It's a it's a heck of a pack, three and a half pounds or something like that, and uh, you know I don't think it's a consistent hundred pound plus load pack, but I think for the ultralight guy that is scouting that is uh, able to split that load up with a couple people, I mean most commonly you know especially up here non resident uh, hunters that are guided, I think it's a great client pack is how I put that not to, not to take away from what stone glaciers created, but I think that even Kurt would agree that, you know, when you start to talk about, uh, you know, a solo sheep hunter, um, and not Kurt specifically, the guy's an animal. Um,
1: yeah, that's a bad what example. What Kurt
2: does <laughs> is not for everybody. Um, yeah, but, uh, all things aside, I think that he would agree that, you know, for the average person that's going to be trying to do it all by themselves, um, that's probably not the pack for them. But all things aside, the fabric, the innovation and the stays that they've created, it actually is a very interesting concept. And I think it's going to do really, really well once it catches on, especially in those Midwestern and Northwestern states. And then again, even with with guys coming up on hunts, I mean, if you're not going to carry more than 40 or 50 pounds consistently, why carry the X curve or the, or the Crux Evo frame that they have? Um, not necessarily a, a necessity. And I think also what they found was, we see it a lot up here is that that load shelf concept with the X curve and the crux Evo frame guys are finding that it's a little more difficult to use and, and a little more time consuming than maybe they bargained for. Um, And so they're throwing everything down inside the bag and not using the load shelf. And so what they wanted to create was a bag that catered more to that person that could do the big loads. um, But was, uh, was not, you know, wasting uh, the frame itself, carrying all that weight, that extra weight for nothing. So very innovative. I think it's going to do really well.
1: Yeah, right on. I, I know a buddy of mine picked it up this season, and uh, he uh, he's already back with no sheep. So I guess he didn't really get to test it out. But uh, yeah, yeah, funny that you say about Kurt there, right? I was listening to one of his podcasts, and they're like, well what do you take for fuel? He goes, I don't take a stove or don't take for fuel. Well, what do you eat for your two week hunt? He's like, Oh, I just take green belly bars. That's all I eat for two weeks straight. It's like, the guy's a machine, right? Yeah. Different. Yeah.
2: Not, not a great example. I mean, he's uh like you said, not a great example, but you know, he is a, he is an animal and, and I think it's important to note that, yeah, there's more than one way to do things certainly. And I think that Kurt offers a very unique perspective perspective. And I think that shows in a lot of their innovations that they do is, uh, you know, there's options. And I think that that's what they created was another option for the Stone Glacier followers that maybe just don't need uh, the load shelf concept where they're really having to carry those big, big loads and spread things out. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Awesome, man. Well, hey, I've taken enough of your time. I know you stayed after work. Your family's at home waiting for you. You got the three little kids that are just amped up to see dad. And um, so Kevin, you know, I can't thank you enough for, all the support you give the society, all the support you give our industry. And and honestly, the, the most important thing I think that you bring to the table is just you're you're always an advocate for wild sheep. I, I don't know anyone more passionate and more, more willing to roll up your sleeves and get after it, whether it's with donations or time or whatever the case may be. So I can't thank you enough, man, and appreciate you taking the time to talk to us again.
2: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. And uh, yeah, great talking with you.
1: Awesome. We'll do it again soon, I hope.
2: All right. Sounds good.